You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Good morning, Faith family. I am so excited to be with you in the Word today. Today's Word is going to be a little more difficult for us. I think at least it has been for me as I've been preparing. It's a uh, topic that Uh, Many of us don't even want to think about much less endure. And so I pray that today as we get into it, that you will take a moment to pray for God to soften our hearts and prepare us and that we would just accept truth and then find the grace that comes along with it in Jesus. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, we'll be in Romans chapter 8 starting in verse 16, our passage is verse 18 through 25, but I want us to back up into verse 16. Before we get there, while you're turning to Romans 8, verse 16, I wanted to take a moment to just mention the basis of what we're talking about here and the struggles we have for it. I don't know if you feel this as well, or if you're one who has experienced suffering in your life. Almost everyone that is out of college or out of high school, even before for many, have experienced suffering, have experienced heartache or tragedy. And every time we go through those things, it is so easy for us to get sidetracked and to become angry and to become overwhelmed to the point of losing our focus that we have hope even in the midst of this if we are in Christ. And so I think today in the Word we're going to find encouragement. I believe that's why Paul's writing this to the Romans. I believe that's why the Holy Spirit that has inspired him to do so 2,000 years ago and now speaks to us from his word again as he encourages us in the word. And I think that we will see today that there is great hope even in the midst of our suffering. And so Paul picks it up in verse 16. We're kind of backing up to get the context here. I want us to get ready to think about what it means that we must suffer with Christ as stated in verse 17. But many of us even now, those that are watching, those who have been a part of our faith family for a long time, those who are new to our faith family, uh, we know of people right now in our midst, people that we are praying for regularly, whether they be young children suffering with cancer, people that we know, that we love, that we are heartbroken over, whether it be people that have been a part of our faith family for decades, who have served continually in different aspects in our faith family who are suffering even now and going through treatment for cancer, those who have suffered to the point of even death that we saw suffer in great ways, those of us who suffer alone because we feel like no one understands us, no one hears us, nobody sees what we go through, and therefore we feel a type of suffering that is loneliness. And there's so many other types of suffering that I would be Remiss to try to name all because I would always leave out something. But this text today is for all of us who have experienced suffering or who are going through suffering or who will be going through suffering because that is something we can all relate to. All of us have been through it, are going through it, or will go through some type of suffering. So let's let the Word of God speak to our hearts this morning as we open up Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. It kind of feels like it should just end there, but He gives this statement behind it that is, it brings a lot of questions with it. He says, 
This is true provided we suffer with Him. In other words, if we suffer with Him, we are heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with Him in order that, for the purpose of, that we might also be glorified with Him. Paul goes on in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes what, for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let me pray for us. Father, we need your grace and mercy even just to understand this passage of your scriptures today i pray that you would work in us and you settle our hearts and our minds and focus us in that with all the distractions that we can have at home or in this place in our heads i know lord that you can cut through that and you can bring peace and you can open up our ears to hear and you can open up our hearts to be changed according to the good news of jesus that we'll see today according to your word so lord i pray for that working of your holy spirit in us so that we might love you and live life according to that love in a way that gives you honor and glory even in the midst of suffering and ask that in Jesus' name amen all right so let's just unpack this for just a minute i want us to see verse 17 again he says if children then heirs heirs of god and fellow heirs with christ provided in other words if we suffer with him, suffer with Jesus, in order that we may also be glorified with him. And then he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. In other words, we must suffer with Jesus if we are going to be glorified with Jesus. But Paul says that he considers the sufferings that we go through in this present time are ultimately not worth comparing to the glory we will will be in, that we will receive, that we will revel in and live in and abide in when we go to be with God, when that glory is revealed to us at the second coming of Jesus. He goes on in verse 19 and says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. In other words, the creation waits for us to be revealed in our fullness to that part of glory where when Jesus comes back, we'll be glorified and sin will be eradicated. Creation longs for that with eager longing. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility or emptiness and bondage to the slavery of sin that even we have created as Adam and Eve sin and then now therefore we sin because we are sinners by nature. Creation then has been subjected to that same suffering of sin, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation, in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption 
and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That it would receive the same freedom from sin and its effects that we would receive as we are brought out of this sinful world. That God redeems us and fixes it all and puts it all back anew at the returning of Jesus. He says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So I say this to you today, that the kind of premise, the thesis that we are seeing in this text is that God brings grace through suffering. That God brings grace through suffering. I'm going to say it again, verse 17. If children with God, then heirs, and heirs of God and fellow heirs of the Christ, if or provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Suffering is a divine judgment of God upon sin. We all know this to be the case. We know that it is because sin entered the world and then came suffering and then came hardship and difficulty. Suffering is a divine judgment of God upon sin. And just to make sure we're clear, all throughout this chapter, God has been the primary actor through everything. And it is no different in this moment either. We see that God is the one who subjected all creation to suffering. You may not like that idea that he's the one that subjected all creation. But go back and look, verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage. So someone subjected creation to that futility. You might argue that it's Satan. You might argue that it's Adam. Or you would also possibly could argue that it's God. And that's what I'm arguing based off the text here. Look at it again. That it was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. The one who has authority over it who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Adam and Eve did not subject creation to futility and hope that it would be set free from that bondage. The, the enemy, Satan, has not subjected creation to futility in hopes that it would be set free. Only God would do that. And only God has the power and the authority to subject creation to that in the hope that it would be set free from the bondage of corruption or to corruption. And then to also obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So it is God alone who is the one who subjected all creation to suffering. That is hard for us to understand, but we will unpack that as we go. God subjected creation to suffering in the hope, we see, that it would be set free from its bondage to sin and its effects. That's the negative. And also that it would be able to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. One commentator named Phillips said, The whole creation, in other words, is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own at the return of Jesus. That means the creation is eagerly waiting to see this happen. It wants to see this happen in us who are in Christ. We have to understand a few things about suffering. We hear that, that it is brought upon the world by God. I need us to also understand that suffering is God's judgment upon Adam and Eve's sin. You see that in Genesis 3, verse 16 through 19. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. There it is. He subjected creation to futility. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth from you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. In other words, through suffering you will eat of it. 
By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. There's the end game of the mortality of man happening here and the suffering of death that comes along with our sin. So his judgment came upon Adam and Eve. And it's easy to put all the blame back there, but we can't do that because suffering is also God's judgment upon our sin. Collectively, as all those in the world, and also individually, suffering is a judgment upon our own sin. That does not mean, hear me right, that does not mean that the cancer you go through or that your loved one goes through is because of a particular sin that you did. That's not what that's saying here. But I will say that we, and I'll refer back to that in a second with some words from Jesus, but listen, I, I think that we don't like to imagine that our sin is really that bad. If it was, we would hate it all the time. We would fight it. We would struggle against it. We would not endeavor to embrace it at any point in time. We would not give in to it if we really thought that our sin was that bad. I think that we will say that it's bad and we think we would agree with what Scripture says if we are a Christian or someone who goes to church or grew up around church talking. We would say that the things we do that are wrong are not good, but they're not as bad as what we really need to understand in their severity and in their depth. In fact, look at Jesus' words in Luke 13, 1-5. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What he's saying is, it's easy for us to look on somebody and say, gosh, that person died that way, they must have been a horrible sinner. Or look at those people and what they've done. They are so bad in their sin. I mean, I do things wrong too, but I'm not that bad. And what he's saying is, no, no. You think you're better than them? You think that you're any different from them and what you or I deserve? All of us under our sin should have the Tower of Siloam fall on us. All of us should be sacrificed in that way that Pilate mingled these other Galileans' blood with sacrifices. He said, unless you repent, every one of us, unless we repent, we will likewise perish. And not even just physically, but eternally, spiritually. But then why did God declare it to be for us why would he subject us as his heirs to suffering why wouldn't we be immediately redeemed out of that in fact that's what the false gospel that gets preached all the time that's known as the quote prosperity gospel i'll put it in quotes because it is not real it's a false gospel it gets preached all the time that we will inherit those good things now that we will not suffer if we have enough faith and that we will not go through these hard things if we're really with God, that God doesn't want us to endure that. And that's true. God wants to redeem us and free us from that, but we will suffer in this place. So why does he subject us to this kind of suffering? And I would posit to you that God brings grace through suffering. God brings grace through suffering. Let me quote a couple of guys that say it really well. John Piper says, how many people wake up furious and outraged that they are selfish? It answers the question, why would God allow suffering? How many people wake up furious and outraged, outraged that they are selfish? I mean, not I. I don't usually think about that when I wake up. How many people wake up furious and outraged that they are people who give God only 2% of their time instead of the other 98% of their time? Almost nobody, he says, wakes up outraged at their hearts. But you strike that person with cancer, and then they are outraged at how bad the fall of man is. 
God knows us. He knows he has to touch our bodies in order for us to see that our hearts are morally, outrageously sinful. All human suffering is meant to reveal with inescapable eternal force the horror and outrage of internal human sin. Physical outrage should be translated to outrage of sin, moral evil, because the physical effect of the fall is meant to portray the non-physical, internal, real outrage against God. You hear that? That that physical suffering we go through, that outrage we have against that, is meant to portray the internal, real outrage that goes on against God in our own hearts and souls. This is what that means, that that outrage internally, that thing that we do that is so bad, is our sin and not treasuring God above all things. That may sound a little bit crazy, but if you recognize that he created all things to glorify him, to make much of him, to point to his greatness and his goodness, it is not hard to understand that when we do not do that, when we fail to live up to that, in fact, when we rebel against that and give ourselves glory or put that glory on another, then we deserve to be put outside of God's family, to be put outside of His grace and His mercy. C.S. Lewis says it like this, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong. It's not that our desires are so strong. They're not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. Listen, our being freed from suffering at the return of Jesus brings all creation to celebrate. That's why it talks about that here in the scriptures, like in verse 20, when it says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Our being freed from suffering at the return of Jesus brings all creation to celebrate our glory as children of God Because it then points to the ultimate glory, the greater celebration of Jesus who suffered for our sake to overcome our sin and its consequences, both temporally here on this earth and eternally. The sin that we deserve, the wrath we deserve for our sin, which is hell. Romans 2 says, He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory, in other words, those who seek to fight their sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. He will give them eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey the unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Or put it back in Romans 8, verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. God brings grace through suffering. Our suffering and the suffering of those we love and care about, the suffering of the world around us, shows us the depth of our sinfulness that needs diminish it in our own mind. But the suffering around us, those who are killed daily for their faith or for any other reason, those who suffer through horrible sickness and die painful deaths, that shows us that we are in need of saving. It brings us back to needing a Savior. And suffering and glory are inextricably linked. They're linked because of our sin, They're linked because of our Savior. They're inextricably linked. They're linked because through suffering we are saved. 
me say it like this. Sin brings suffering. And suffering brings our Savior to this earth to live the life we could not live, to die the death that we deserve under the full suffering weight of the wrath of God for our sins has been laid upon His shoulders. And then that suffering Savior dies on the cross and then our Savior brings us salvation by His Holy Spirit placed in us as we believe on Him, repent of our sins. And then our salvation brings God glory which is what our sin tries to do away with continually or tries to rob from God, His glory. So God's judgment on sin brings suffering now so that we are pointed to the need for redemption and freedom from suffering and sin so that we will return to God and be saved from eternal suffering in Jesus. God brings grace through suffering in Jesus. Look at verse 23 through 25. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown embryly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. We were saved. And now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So let me say it again like this. Therefore, all these things we talked about, how suffering is because of our sin, that suffering is brought upon creation by God subjecting creation to that suffering. That suffering is brought there because God wants to point us back to our need for a Savior. It points to the depth of our own depravity. Therefore, creation is longing and looking for the return of Christ so that we'll be brought to glory, the sons of God being brought to glory. And then if we are in Christ, if we are heirs with Christ, that we will suffer with him so that we can be glorified with him. So therefore, our suffering is a grace of God. Not because it's enjoyable. Not because it's what we want. Suffering is a grace of God because it proves that he loves us too much to leave us in our own, in our own sin And he loves us too much to condemn us to eternal suffering in hell. This light momentary affliction, Paul calls it, is meant to show us the greater glory of being with him forever. So we go through something now which will be overwhelming to us in this place, but that will point us and deliver us, if we are in Christ, to a greater glory that will make this look trivial in its impact on us in the moment. Not that the suffering is trivial, but its impact being trivial on us comparatively. Suffering is a grace of God because it reveals that horrific nature of our rebellion against God. And it shows us the severity of our own sin and the suffering which we deserve. But God saves us from eternal suffering through the suffering of His own Son in our place on the cross so that we could be adopted into His family as sons and daughters. Look at Hebrews 2.10 says this, For it was fitting that He, for whom and by whom all things exist, Jesus, in bringing many sons to glory, God would do this through Jesus, for it's fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation, Jesus, perfect through suffering. If Jesus suffered the eternal weight of God's wrath toward us on his shoulders, on the cross, even to the point of death, and we call that grace, then isn't our suffering that continues to point us back to our need of salvation also grace of God? To remind us continually of that thing? It's hard for us to say that out loud, but isn't it the same suffering that Jesus endured on the cross, even to the nth degree that we can't imagine? If that suffering on Jesus on the cross 
was declared by us to be full of grace, then even the suffering we endure now is God's grace to draw us into relationship with him and to renew us and restore us and to push us further and further into what he made us to be without sin even eventually. I'm going to say it like this. Suffering brings greater focus than almost anything else. When you're in the midst of extreme suffering, you are not focused on anything else that is unimportant. You're focused on the thing that is bringing you to that point. You're focused on your need to get away from that. And you're focused on the people you love more than anything. And you're focused on those things because that's what's most important. Our relationship with God, our relationship with others supersedes all else. And great suffering brings great clarity and focus. That's why Jesus can say on Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That word, Those words for pure in heart are those who are singularly focused. Blessed are those who are completely, singularly focused in their heart on God and on His kingdom, for they shall see God. And God brings that focus through suffering all too often. And when we suffer, we are more and more like Jesus who suffered for us on the cross if we suffer with him. Listen, you can call yourself a Christian. You may be a believer, a follower of Jesus. But if you suffer apart from him, if you suffer on your own, you do not go to him. You are not relying on him. You are suffering alone and that brings glory to God. Not at all. So therefore, when we suffer, we must suffer with him. Verse 17 even says it. Look at it one more time. And if children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of the Christ, provided we suffer, not just suffer, but we suffer with Jesus in his presence, relying upon him, resting in his arms, the one who sustains us and holds us for his glory, for our hope, for our joy, for us being brought through suffering. God brings grace through suffering in Jesus. So then, Let us suffer with Jesus so that we can also be glorified with him. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Listen, we know if we are in Christ that Jesus will save us. Because of so many pieces. Let me name a few. Because he has secured our salvation on the cross. And we love him for it. You you can say that you know he died for you on the cross. But if you don't love him for it. Then maybe you're not his. That's a big question you have to ask yourself. Do you truly love him? Is that played out in your actions? Because love in the scripture is always played out in faith and action. Not just in a word. Do you love him for what he did on the cross? That he lived the life that you and I could not live. That he died the death that we deserve under the full weight of our sin. Enduring all of the wrath of God poured out, should be poured out on us for all of eternity. Poured out for him on the cross, even to the point of death. In his last breath, it is finished. Because he had defeated Satan, sin, death, and hell. And therefore he rose in victory, having defeated them. So that we could be brought into that family. And so that while we suffer a little bit now, we will not suffer eternal wrath and condemnation and suffering we also know that he will save us because he has eternally linked us with himself by giving us the first fruits of our salvation mentioned here which is the holy spirit who resides in us this is part of the proof of our being his and by his holy spirit our heavenly father has secured our adoption as sons and daughters having sealed us 
Paul says in Ephesians, making us his, the mark of him on us by the Holy Spirit in us, to whom we cry, Abba, Father, so that in our suffering, we don't lie alone, we don't suffer alone, we cry out to a Father, Abba, Father, who loves us and knows us and wants to bring us peace and grace and mercy, and who ultimately will bring us total peace and ultimate grace and mercy as he brings us home to be with him, where suffering is eradicated and sin is done away with because of what Jesus did on the cross. Romans 8.15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, brothers and sisters, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So we know He will redeem our bodies of the resurrection, for Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead, and now we are adopted into His family, so therefore we will be with Him forever because He's overcome death. Colossians 1.18 says, He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent for this and in this gospel this good news about jesus this is our sure and steady hope this is our sure and steady hope which he talks about in verse 23 through 25 and not only the creation but we ourselves we are the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons the redemption of our bodies for in this hope we were saved and we are being saved. We have been saved. We will be saved in this hope as we set our hearts on Jesus. That's why Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 4, so we do not lose heart. And even in the midst of our sufferings, in the hardest of trials, in the worst of things that we could possibly imagine, or that even is outside of our imagination. Some of you are suffering in ways by watching a loved one go through things that you cannot endure any longer. You have not the strength. Some of you are enduring things right now that are overwhelming to you that you could not have imagined you would go through. Some of you have been enduring some level of suffering for so long that you're not even sure what it looks like to not be suffering. But do not lose heart, Paul reminds us. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So let us repent of suffering alone. Let us repent of shaking our fist at God who only leans into us to love us like a father through the work of his son, making us adopted into his family and the Holy Spirit making that real for us even now. So let us repent and believe in that good news of Jesus. Let us put our hope in him and let our suffering be the grace that brings us back to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord, because God brings grace through suffering. Father, we know you will relieve our suffering because you sent Jesus to suffer for us on the cross so that we don't have to suffer eternally. We know that you hate the sin that brings suffering because you sent your one and only son to defeat sin for us on the cross. Father, we know that you will raise us up with you because you raised up Jesus from the dead. And we know you will take us home to be with you because you took Jesus home to prepare that place for us and he is the firstborn among many brothers. Father, we know that you will come back for us because the blood of your son that you spilt for us on the cross is too precious for you not to return to take home the bounty you bought with the blood of Jesus. And we know that even in our suffering, you love us. Because you've already loved us so much that you gave us Jesus who suffered more than we can ever imagine or go through on the cross in our place. 
So, Father, we put our hope in you. We place our worries, our anxieties, our fears, our struggles, our sufferings in your hands. And we trust in you. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us grace through suffering. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us a Savior who can not only save us, but who can resonate with our struggles and who knows what suffering is so that we do not suffer alone. And we ask that even in our suffering, the light of your Son, Jesus, would shine forth in our actions and our words and our hearts and that you would receive all the glory because to you alone, to you alone should all the glory be. To you alone should all the honor be. And to you alone should all the praise be. In Jesus' name, I pray and ask these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet. And we pray that this sermon helped you to be more like Jesus. As 12th Street seeks to be a place where we can find forgiveness for the past and hope for the future.